mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the holiday season is now right around the corner, but it's not such a joyous time for those grieving the loss of a loved one, especially to the tragedy of suicide. An upcoming local program can help mourners manage those emotions. We'll have details. Also this morning, launching and running a small business is a challenging endeavor for anyone, especially in the current climate. Have today's economic headwinds dampened Americans' entrepreneurial spirit? And Motor Trend has announced their 2024 SUV of the year, sorting through a slate of contenders, each offering their own unique spin on America's top-selling automobile segment. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, October 26, 2023. It's been, what, three years since the uh, pandemic, Uh, more than three years since the onset of the uh, pandemic, and uh, we're still learning about ways in which not just human society has changed since the pandemic, but also uh, the animal kingdom. This, (laughs) I kid you not, a study out of UCLA has found that birds uh, fear humans less (laughs) post-pandemic. Birds fear humans less post-pandemic than they did before March of 2020. Pre-pandemic data, and this was uh, data (laughs) that was collected uh, on campus. Apparently, they were even tracking this before the pandemic. Because it says pre-pandemic data, when more students walked around campus, found that the birds on campus flew away when someone approached within 65 inches. (laughs) That was the trigger. When you were 65 inches or less away from a bird on campus, it would fly away. But in 2022, well after the lockdowns, this distance fell to 39 inches. This goes against the uh, habituation theory, which suggests the birds become less fearful of humans through repeated interaction. Because obviously there was not any interaction during the pandemic. Uh, It is unclear why birds that experience less human contact would be willing to get closer to them. Um, Pamela Yeh, one of the uh, researchers... Behind this study at UCLA says the effects of humans on wild animals are very complex and what we expect isn't always what we get. So (laughs) it's just amazing to me that here we are three years later, three years after the fact, we're still discovering things about the world around us that changed because of the pandemic. Well, maybe not because of the pandemic. We don't know. We can't assume that it's because of the pandemic. But birds seem to be less fearful of humans now. So, there you go. Um, Halloween right around the corner. And uh, <laughs> I saw this story on the uh, on the Newswire tied into the uh, holiday. And the Taylor Swift. The 2023 will go down as the year of Taylor Swift. No question. And uh, two Taylor Swift-inspired Halloween displays, one in New York and the other right here in Ohio, have taken the internet by storm. Heather Nolette of Peru, New York, created an impressive tribute 
Um, it says we, she says we attended uh, Taylor's concert this year at Gillette Stadium and tried to take some of those ideas and bring them here for everyone to enjoy. Her display features skeletons doing an impression of the Eras Tour, complete with some of Taylor Swift's iconic looks. Meanwhile, the display here in the Buckeye State in London, Ohio, so Southern Ohio, Terry and Jerry Ketron had a similar idea. Their display shows skeletons cheering Taylor Swift on as security skeletons keep Travis Kelsey off stage. <laughs> so, so a little uh, a Travis Kelsey tie in there uh, as well. <laughs> I don't know. Have we hit critical mass on the Taylor Swift stuff yet? I, apparently not. But uh, I'm thinking we will hear soon. Uh, looking past Halloween, we get into the holiday season. Um, if you're not really into Halloween, you're just kind of counting down the days until you can get past it and start thinking toward Thanksgiving, Christmas, that kind of thing. It is a time of big gatherings, family gatherings, friend gatherings uh, during the holiday season. Do you have hosting anxiety? According to a new survey, 71% of Americans say they need a full day to prepare for a house full of guests. This is a survey of 2,000 adults. 18% feel like they never have enough seating for all of their guests. And I have to say, we did this uh, in our house. We, a few years ago, remodeled our, our kitchen and uh, updated the, the house and uh, that was one of the things that was a priority for us. It seemed like we never had enough seating when we'd host big holiday gatherings. We have seating coming out of our ears now. <laughs> We've got seating for like 50 people at our house now because that was one of the uh, priorities. I think we might have gone overboard the other direction. But uh, 18% fear, feel like they never have enough seating for everybody. 14% worry about having food for everyone. That has never been a problem in our house. That is not a problem. in the survey worry so much about their guests that they forget to enjoy themselves. Has that ever happened to you? I was a little surprised that number was only 31%. I think that's fairly common. Uh, According to Madison Adam uh, uh, of uh, Article.com, who commissioned this survey, reported on the survey, Uh, People enjoy hosting at home, and many design their home with guests in mind. We mentioned my wife and I did that when we uh, updated our house a few years ago. She says, uh, entryways with convenient shoe storage, uh, ottomans, and well-placed side tables can make all the difference. So, there you go. If you're looking to uh, update your home or... Make it a little more inviting for your guests this holiday season. Some suggestions. A couple of other items among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Now, who would have thought this? A new study of young people between the ages of 13 to 24 has found that half of all teenagers and young adults believe that there is too much sex on screen in TV and movies. Too much sex. Teenagers and young adults believe there's too much of the uh, raunchy stuff. Now, the young adults are also engaging in physical relations, shall we say, less than their parents did at the same age. 
and researchers speculate that those two things could be linked. According to Professor Yalda Yules, we know that young people are suffering an epidemic of loneliness and that they're seeking modeling in the art that they consume. It's reflected in the art they consume. It's important for Hollywood to recognize that adolescents want stories that reflect the full spectrum of relationships. Researchers say Gen Zers crave feel-good platonic character relationships after being isolated during the pandemic. Here again, another way that the pandemic may have changed our outlook on the world. Uh, they've even come up with a, a name for this trend. They call it nomance instead of romance. Nomance. Too much. Who would have ever thought that uh, teenagers and young adults, 13 to 24-year-olds, would say there is too much sex on TV and in the movies? i tell you, times have changed. Because when I was that age, we were, uh, we were all for it. You know, but... Anyway, and this is big news. This may be the biggest news of the day. Important news for you to know. And that's why we're here. I want to make sure that you are up to speed with all of the important things of the day. And this jumped out at me at the new, on the Newswire. It was like definitely one of the first things that we've got to uh, bring up this morning and make you aware of. McDonald's is getting rid of its McFlurry spoon That's right, the fast food chain says it is looking into more sustainable alternatives. The hollow plastic spoon um, was able to be inserted into the McFlurry machine to mix the ice cream toppings in. Um, And then you get the McFlurry spoon and it was hollow and so you could kind of use it as a straw once your McFlurry started to melt. Um, now the McFlurries, the McFlurry shakes will have a smaller spoon using less plastic as it's, uh, they're trying to be more sustainable. So no more hollow plastic McFlurry spoons. Big news. It does not say the report does not say, uh, when this change, uh, will be, uh, in effect, when they're going to do this, whether they're doing it now or they're phasing it out over the course of several months, I would imagine that restaurants will continue to use them until their supply, current supply is exhausted. But how long that may be, we don't know. But I will definitely make sure that we follow this story because it's very important stuff. The McFlurry spoon is going away. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly cloudy today with a high in the mid-70s. Mostly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the mid-60s. The city of Finley says State Route 568 will be closing for construction of the pedestrian bridge portion of the Blanchard River Greenway Trail Extension Project. The city says the closure will go from Bright Road to County Road 236 beginning on Monday, October 30th and lasting for approximately 45 days. This extension of the Greenway Trail will take it to County Road 236 and in the future the city wants to extend the Greenway Trail from County Road 236 out to Riverbend Recreation Area. Get more on the road closure including the suggested detour in the story on our website. Ohio's Attorney General has joined 32 other attorneys general to announce a federal lawsuit against Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. 
The suit alleging that the tech giant deliberately engineered its social media platforms to be addictive to kids and teens to boost profits. Lawyers representing states from California to Maine say that action contributed to a youth mental health crisis. I'm Andrew Kinsey. A former Ohio lawmaker is facing a judge in Summit County. The criminal trial for former Ohio Representative Bob Young is underway in Barberton. Young is accused of committing domestic violence, assault, and violating a protection order. He resigned as representative for Ohio House District 32, which covers most of Summit County, on October 2nd. Young has waived his right to a jury trial, so the judge in the case will decide whether he's guilty. I'm Stephanie Haney. The Northwestern Water and Sewer District has notified Macomb customers that it will be switching the Village of Macomb's water source from water supplied by the Macomb Water Treatment Plant to water supplied by the Village of North Baltimore. The change will occur on or around Monday, October 30th. Get more details in this story on our website. Dr. Bill Coase with Blanchard Valley Health System says with a little over two months remaining in the year, many people may be thinking about medical tests and procedures they need to get done before the end of the year. The doctor is advising people to start this planning now because if you leave making those calls until mid-December, it may be harder to schedule the things you need done. Get more advice from the doctor in the story on our website. Don't forget, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. As we know, the holiday season is now right around the corner, and we think of this uh, in terms of the happiest time, the most wonderful time of the year, the most joyful time of the year. Not so much, always, for those grieving the loss of a loved one, especially to the tragedy of suicide. And we know that that has been a topic that has been in the news. We've talked about quite a bit uh, in recent months and years, to be sure. Well, there is an upcoming uh, local program that can help, can help mourners manage those emotions, especially as we come into this time of year. We are joined from the uh, Family Resource Center by uh, Amber Wolfram and Derek Poofty. And thank you both for uh, joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Um, Amber, this is this can be a tough time uh, for uh, anyone who has lost uh, a loved one. I think m- most people have experienced that at some point in their lives on some level, but especially when we're talking about suicide grief, it is a very uh, unique form of grief. Well, and with grief, we always talk about the year of firsts. You know, there's the there's the first yes. of this, the first of that. Right. Um, and so as we as we begin to very quickly slide into the holiday season, mm-hmm. um, we know this may be a year first for many with suicide loss. Um, the grieving can look very different. Mm-hmm. And there's many reasons to that. Um, and that's why with this particular class, it's structured. Uh, we've had people call that say, We've used this this community group out in the past, and it was it was very helpful, but it, we just feel like it didn't meet our specific need, mm-hmm. and so we wanted to make sure um, we could get this offered now. Uh, and um, like you said, unfortunately, our numbers are up in our area right. for suicide loss, and there's a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. You know, one life lost, very tragic, ripples into families and friends and coworkers and church members. And so there's many people impacted by that loss. Yeah. Um, And that being said, I mean, suicide grief is a unique type of grief, but there is no single way of grieving the loss of a loved one, regardless of the the cause. Correct. There are multiple ways that um, individuals grieve and that we can process and 
you know, the companion, the mourner, it allows us to focus solely on suicide grief. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other programs focus just on grief in general, and mm-hmm. they are effective as well. Um, but what we like about this one is that it specifically focuses on that suicide grief. What are some of the unique aspects of suicide grief in particular? Well, because of the nature of the death, you're going to potentially have law enforcement involvement. You're going to have coroner involvement. There's mm-hmm. insurance company discussions. That's just at the very beginning. Yeah. There's also the anger well, and the shock. Y- and you the, think about that. I mean, that is the beginning, just for starters. Beginning. And you can see how overwhelming that can be. And now you're just getting started. Well, and you have individuals that are unpacking the signs that might now seem very clear. Yeah. But then, and, and what Derek and I know is individuals that are struggling with the thought of suicide, they're often struggling silently mm-hmm. uh, because they're trying to pull it all together one way or another, and it's just unraveling. And so the people around them are getting little clues, but they're all over the place. And mm-hmm. so hindsight can become very clear, right. but when you're living in the moment, it's mm-hmm. it's not that way. And people begin to have some shock and guilt and anger and things around that loss. Right. And and just the question of why. I mean, if you have a loved one that that dies of old age or of cancer, it's it, it, it when you have someone who dies of suicide, the question of why comes up that you don't have in in other deaths mm-hmm. in many cases. And and that's hard because, you know, intellectually we want to know that answer. Yeah. And in our hearts, you know, um we are grieving, and so there's a there's a conflict. Mm-hmm. And personally, you know, I have dealt with suicide in my family, which is why I, you know, have um, had a passion for suicide grief and in helping others. And so myself and Maria Cool, who is our crisis manager, mm-hmm. uh, we both have that lived experience, and that, that's that uniqueness that we can provide for this group. Yeah, I was going to say, how critical is that uh, for the individuals who are kind of leading this to say, I've been there, I know what you're going through, because you know I have that shared experience? Yeah, you know, um, this is a support group. It's not a therapy group. Mm-hmm. And so with it being a support group, I feel like it is very crucial to be able to have that lived experience, mm-hmm. unfortunately, to to relate. And, uh, you know, the holidays this time of year is one of those reminders. And yeah. suicide grief, it's, you know, we can't take all of the, the pain and, and things away, but what we can do is work through our, our grief and know that we're not alone. And this is not a... Uh, an easy process. It is not a simple uh, or a, a quick process. As such, this is a program that lasts how many weeks? This is seven seven weeks. This seven. one is a six week. Six weeks. And the, and the individuals will receive a. There's a book and a workbook. So there's kind of like homework. Okay. Um, but also, uh, this is timed because support is always needed Mm -hmm. but to really delve into a loss like this we don't want it to be like ongoing that type of intensity Mm -hmm. so for six weeks you're going to be unpackaging it with others that are unpackaging it and discussing it and talking about it but you're going to walk away with the materials too to kind of continue that work and then also with the referral because we have a lot of great supports in our community between Bridge Hospice Bereavement and um, NAMI and um, I mean the 
the Adamus board, like we've got things out there for people to be able to transition to, mm-hmm. but we want them to be able to take the time to say, we know this is different. Yeah. Um, and let's spend some time with that. So six weeks uh, that begins November 7th. So coming up here very soon and then running through mid-December. So you get into the heart of the holiday season. Give us all of the uh, details on this. Well, really, it's simple. You just need to contact a family resource center and ask for Amber, <laughs> and um, but uh, my and they will connect you directly to me. But also our website. If you go to frcohio.org, you can click on uh, classes and events and be able to register right online as well. Now you do need to register in advance uh, for this. Correct? Yes, because there is. I don't want to use the word screening process, but there is an interview to make sure that. We are what you are looking for and that you are appropriate for the group um, because we don't want someone to experience that right off the get-go. And what would be some of the criteria that you would be looking for with respect to that? I mean, you know, who's ready for this? Well, um, it's not so much about time, like how much time mm-hmm. has passed. It's more about relationship to the person that that, that, that they see. lost. Um, and, it's, and it's also we – we don't want to have, you know, six or seven people from the same family come to one group because like Derek said, this is not therapy. It's not counseling. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly that can turn, um, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's and all of that being said, it's not to say that uh, that any of those individuals ch- are no. not, uh, you know, are not in need of, you know, some sort of, right. of help. Just not this is not designed. For right. And what it might the, be is we may need to take a look at the class structure and say, OK, how can we break this up a little bit to make sure everyone's individual needs are being identified and yeah. people aren't getting shadowed out? And again, to go back to what you were saying earlier, there are lots of resources. Uh, so this is just one of those for a specific set of uh, individuals at a specific point in time in their grieving And this process. won't be the last time it's going to be offered. This yeah. is just the first time of this fiscal year that we're able to, to have it. Very good. Um, prepared. Uh, so it is called Suicide Grief Companioning the Mourner. It begins on uh, November 7th. This is uh, what on Tuesday evenings, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's you're talking like an hour and a half. Uh, Correct. So. And it is a closed group. So individuals uh, who sign up and, and get registered, um, you know, once that group starts, we're not going to add anyone in. Yeah. You know, uh, it is, it's unique, and we want to develop and create that environment for individuals to be able to, to share. A lot of great uh, resources for those who are uh, mourning a loved one to the uh, loss of suicide. And we've got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information from the uh, Family Resource Center. Again, Amber Wolfram and Derek Poofty, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Important topic. So you remember yesterday we were talking about resources to support veterans who want to become small business owners in their post-military civilian career, right? was one of our uh, topics yesterday on the program. But, you know, launching and running a successful small business is something that can be a challenge for anyone, especially right now, veteran or otherwise. Yes, we are dealing with high interest rates, and yes, it is an uncertain economy. However... That really has not quelled Americans' entrepreneurial spirit, it seems. In June of this year, new business applications hit a two-year high. So we're still out there starting businesses, Americans are. But becoming a successful entrepreneur isn't only about having the best idea. Plenty of businesses with great ideas fail. 
Joining us this morning is Brian Alster. He is General Manager for North America Finance and Risk Solutions at Dun & Bradstreet. And Brian, is that the most sobering realization for many entrepreneurs and would-be entrepreneurs that it's not as simple as just hanging out a shingle and expecting business to come pouring in? Yes, you're absolutely right. You know, the U.S. Bureau of Statistics says that uh, 20% of small businesses will fail in the first year. And over half of them will fail after five years. That's a sobering statistic in and of itself. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's anything I've learned from watching Shark Tank, you see a lot of great ideas that no one wants to invest in because business owners haven't done their due diligence on market share and ROI and liquidity and all of that. But it does seem like an awful lot to digest, especially for someone who's just starting out. So what does a small business owner really need to focus on from the very beginning that will put them on the right path with the greatest chance of succeeding? I'd say there's two or three key steps. The first step is write a business plan. Take the time to identify and understand what types of goods and service you're selling, who your target audience is, what type of business model you want to have, what type of expenses you expect to have. Are there suppliers that you would have to go to locally or regionally or globally? Uh, you know, do you understand who your competitors are? Setting up that type of insight through a business plan is the first critical step. Next is getting a business registration. It's really important to register your business as any small business can raise their hand and say, I am a legitimate business. And that helps to create credibility in the marketplace. The third and final step is really reaching out and starting to build your credit profile. And that a great way to do that is through the Dunn's number from Dun & Bradstreet. Now, I want to talk uh, about a couple of those points that you bring up. You talk about registering your business. There are a lot of different ways you can register with the IRS, you register with the state. Uh, as you mentioned, Dun & Bradstreet has a registration system. Are we talking about all of the above, or what do you, uh, do you really need to register? Yeah, I think it's really important to register your business. It's a, it really is, enables you to put that shingle out that you mentioned earlier and have customers understand and, and have confidence that your business is a real business. And uh, it also helps with suppliers to give, build confidence that they're going to get paid for the goods and services that they provide you. Um, and so it's really important. A great resource to learn more about registering your business would be the um, SBA, the Small Business Administration. Mm-hmm. has a lot of good resources online to help companies understand what the registration process is like. Now, you mentioned specifically with Dun & Bradstreet, the DUNS number. Uh, how, do, how do you obtain and register, uh, register one of those, uh, obtain one of those numbers, and how does that help secure funding and access to lines of credit, that kind of thing? Because that's really what that focuses on, right? Absolutely. You know, getting a Dun's number is both free and easy. You can go to www.dmb.com. Across the navigation bar at the top, you'll see the word Dunn's number. You click on it, and in a few steps, you can get started. It's free and easy. And uh, by doing so, you join over over 500 million other businesses in the Dun & Bradstreet data cloud. Uh, And you mentioned about access to capital. One of the important benefits of uh, starting your business by building a Dunn's number and getting a Dunn's number 
is uh, starting to build your credit profile. And that credit profile is critical, especially in times like this, um, where you have a high interest rate environment. It's really important for small businesses to try and keep their costs down. The best way to do that is to have really uh, consistent, small, uh, minimum monthly payments. And the best way to do that is to tap into various different types of credit vehicles. You know, for day-to-day purchases, having access to a commercial or small business credit card is really important. For those larger purchases, like financing equipment, getting access to uh, commercial loans or lines of credit, you could do that by establishing that credit profile with Dun & Bradstreet. And being able to build that credit profile gives confidence to creditors that they can make loans to you to small businesses and have the assurance that they're going to be paid back. Speaking a little bit more broadly, uh, I think a lot of folks know Dun and Bradstreet is uh, really the premier uh, data and analytics uh, firm for business. Obviously, we live in an age of data and analytics. Explain why that is important for small businesses and what small business entrepreneurs can get out of tapping into uh, the the data and analytics side. Yeah, data and analytics is critical to any business, any shape or size, um, but most important for small businesses as they uh, are coming up the learning curve and trying to establish and grow their business. You know, Any question can be answered with strong understanding of the data and analytics. For instance, uh, am I targeting the right customers? Do I have the right product in market? Am I uh, competing against my peers in this space in an effective manner? Do I have the lowest cost suppliers? All these questions and more can be answered by looking into data that that small business can collect on themselves or that they can leverage from third parties like Dun & Bradstreet to help them build those capabilities and leverage data to really make actionable insights that they can make quick decisions on. As we mentioned, we are seeing new business applications, new business startups at a two-year high, but the numbers don't lie. Many of those businesses won't survive past the first, second, or even the fifth year. We're talking about ways of kind of stacking the odds in your favor. Brian Alster, again, is a general manager for North America Finance and Risk Solutions at Dun & Bradstreet. Where do folks get more information? Again, it's a lot to take in for especially first-time entrepreneurs, but where do we get folks uh, the guidance that they need here? Yeah, for small businesses looking for a roadmap, the best place to go to is www.dmb.com. There's a section for small businesses that helps everything from how to start your small business, how to grow your small business, and how to navigate through the challenges that ultimately every business will have to face. Brian, thanks very much for taking the time, some of the insight. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Have a wonderful day. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Now, this is weird. This is weird. A bishop, a Catholic bishop in Poland, has resigned following a scandal involving a raunchy party Uh, in which, uh, sadly, one person uh, lost his life. According to reports, Bishop Gregors Kajak did not give a reason for leaving his position, but the move follows a police inquiry 
into a member of his diocese. One of uh, Bishop Kazakh's priests is currently under investigation regarding a sex party gone wrong. <laughs> okay. The incident reportedly involved the priest along with a uh, male and an enthusiastic male participant and uh, another individual. Unfortunately, one of the alleged participants passed away after consuming an overdose of performance enhancing medication. You know what I'm talking about. The the pope has accepted the bishop's resignation. It's just all kinds of weird. There. Just all kinds of weird. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, um, the, you talk about having a bad day. This is a bad day. Uh, so you can maybe take some solace in this. If this has not happened to you, if this doesn't happen to you today, then no matter how bad your day is, <clears throat> comparatively comparatively speaking, it's, uh, it could be worse. A customer in Manhattan spent nearly 10 hours locked inside the vault of a Midtown jewelry store overnight before finally being freed early yesterday morning. The 10 hours in the vault. Now, how this happened, uh, the customer, it says here, an unidentified 23-year-old man became locked inside the room-sized steel vault on Tuesday night when a timed mechanism uh, suddenly locked the vault and he was inside. Police were first called around 8.45 in the evening to help try and free him from the uh, vault um, at uh, 585th Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. FDNY and NYPD personnel then spent nearly 10 hours working through the night trying to break into the secure vault to get this guy out. Uh, they couldn't do it, and eventually the vault opened on its own on a timing mechanism uh, in the uh, early morning hours on uh, Wednesday, and he was uh, was released. No harm, no foul. He was uh, he was just fine. He just had to spend <laughs> uh, just had to spend the night in the uh, vault. Uh, reporters uh, were told by a representative of the uh, FDNY that uh, it wasn't anything that they did to free the man. It was just the vault opened on its own on the timing mechanism. The trapped man was finally able to walk out about 6.15 in the morning after spending the night in the vault. Why he was in the vault, I don't know. Apparently, this is just a uh, customer, um, not a not an employee of the uh, jewelry store or anything uh, like that, just a customer. So why he was in the vault, I have no idea. The uh, report doesn't say. But that is a bad day right there, uh, getting locked in the uh, vault overnight. If that hasn't happened to you, whatever happens to you today, if you have not been locked in a vault overnight, (laughs) then uh, by comparison, not such a bad day. A couple of interesting stories involving restaurants. One, a Noodles & Company restaurant in Wisconsin now offering a two-buck mac and cheese special. After a deer crashed through the window and ran through the restaurant, um, the uh, store manager, Patty Pickering, Beloit, Wisconsin, uh, said that they were in the middle of the lunch rush and had uh, dozens of children 
eating uh, while trick-or-treating, the deer rushed through. Ms. Pickering said the uh, kids went out the side doors while the buck came into the dining room and through the kitchen. The deer exited through the back door. The restaurant said no one, including the deer, was hurt in the incident. But they are trying to make the best of it. They are offering a promo code now in light of the event for customers who want to save some dough. Get it? Dough, deer, yes. Even though it was a buck, not a dough. But you want to save some dough. It's two buck mac and cheese. They're offering <laughs> for a limited time. <laughs> All right. Uh, make the best of it, I guess. Um. And uh, meanwhile, in Kokomo, Indiana, at a Taco Bell restaurant, the uh, Howard County Health Department is uh, getting involved, launching an investigation after reports emerged of an unconventional hair salon session taking place in the kitchen at the Taco Bell. An employee was seen receiving a haircut while on the job in the kitchen at the Taco Bell. Jennifer Laguerre inadvertently captured the image while working at the Sycamore Street Taco Bell in Kokomo, Indiana. Um, she, let's see here, she, while working at the at the Taco Bell where she had been employed for about a month, she initially shared the photo with friends via Snapchat, but later posted it on social media after losing her job because she shared the image. Apparently didn't want to know that they were giving want anyone to know that they were giving haircuts in the kitchen. And uh, with good with good reason, the Howard County Health Department launched an inspection uh, in response to a complaint, though they have not confirmed a direct link between the complaint and the haircut incident. The uh, health department emphasized the importance of food safety and the need to avoid hair contamination in the kitchen. Yeah, that would be a, a bad thing. Uh, while Ms. Laguerre is frustrated about being fired from her job, she remains content that someone is investigating the matter and the public awaits the forthcoming report and response from Taco Bell. As of now, there has been no public statement. <laughs> They're doing haircuts in the back of the store in the kitchen. Alrighty, that's appetizing. And finally, in the broken news this morning, story out of Massachusetts, where a gentleman by the name of Khalil Sousa lost a million-dollar winning lottery ticket. That's the bad news. You lost a million-dollar winning lottery ticket until it was found by his house cleaner. Uh, Mr. Sousa purchased the ticket from a convenience store months ago, forgot all about it, the house cleaner found the ticket hidden in a vase and gave it back to him. Now, I don't know if the housekeeper knew that it was a million-dollar ticket or not, but the very honest housekeeper gave it back to the, uh, to the homeowner. Mr. Sousa uh, then uh, realized that it was a winner. He claimed the prize. Get this. This is what I, I caught my eye on the story. He claimed the prize. And he says he plans to donate some of the winnings to charity. What about donating some of the winnings to your house cleaner? You know what I mean? Give the house cleaner a cut. Because <laughs> that's 
she deserves a big, big tip there in my book. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When local news breaks, you can hear about it on social media at lightning speed. And while getting you the information fast is important, WFIN will always present the story only after verifying with actual sourced facts. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Trust the voice that's been covering the news in Finley and Hancock County for more than 80 years. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We live in an era of streaming media, streaming entertainment, where you can plop down on the couch, cozy up with your with your special someone and binge watch your favorite show until your heart's content or watch. You know what I mean? Uh, this, and especially we're coming into the uh, you know cold weather months when that's what you want to do. You light a fire in the fireplace. You cozy up with a nice comfy blanket and you binge watch your favorite show. But with that has come a peculiar phenomenon called streaming infidelity or stream cheating. Uh, This is when one person will watch episodes further ahead in a series without your partner uh, learning plot twists and uh, the, uh, the uh, solutions to maybe cliffhangers or whatever while leaving your partner none the wiser. You know what's going to happen next, but your partner doesn't. It's streaming infidelity. A recent survey of over 1,000 Americans explored this concept and some interesting and intriguing insights out of this survey. Of those who were asked, 59% admitted to succumbing to the urge to skip ahead in a show that they're watching with their partner. Uh, But that 59% say they rectified it by later re-watching those episodes together. Uh, 19% openly confessed to stream cheating without revisiting the episode, while another 19% discreetly indulged in extra episodes feigning surprise when then later watching with their partner. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You've watched ahead, you don't tell your partner, and then when you watch the same episode later together, you act surprised like you didn't see something coming that you knew was going to happen? <laughs> uh, so here's the question. Is it ever acceptable to uh be in uh, to cheat in your streaming. Is it ever acceptable? Yes, there are actually some situations where it where stream cheating is acceptable. Fifty six percent believe it is justified when their partner is not as engrossed by a show as they are. If they're not as into it as you are, it's okay to go ahead and and skip ahead. I think that's reasonable. Fifty percent feel it is permissible. When their partner is too busy to keep up, your partner has too many things going on and can't keep up with the show, that shouldn't keep you from moving on ahead. 50% feel that way. 42% find it acceptable to skip ahead if their partner falls asleep during a riveting scene. (laughs) If If you're getting to the good part and you look over and he or she is dozing off, it's okay to keep watching. 
um, according to 42%. I guess the rest feel that if your partner is dozing, you have to turn it off uh, so as not to uh, ruin the surprise. Uh, The survey also delved into the influence of TV genres on stream cheating behavior. Dramas are the ones that prove most irresistible. For 21% of respondents, they are most likely to cheat on their partner when it comes to a good drama. 20% succumb to the charms of comedies. Reality TV lures in 18% of stream cheaters. Uh, On the flip side, the study unveiled the annoying TV watching habits that can irk your partner. Those would include looking up spoilers online, 20%. 38% say falling asleep during a show is really annoying. Excessive phone use during a show, very annoying for 36% of those in the survey. And 17% said asking relentless questions is uh, an annoying habit. And uh, my wife will do that from time to time. She said, well, why, why does he do that? What did he say? Why is he, why is he doing that? What's going on? Like, Dear, you've seen as much of it as I have. <laughs> you ever do that with your partner? Uh, really interesting uh, data on the way we watch TV in the 21st century. It is one of my favorite times every year. Motor Trend picks one new car, truck, and SUV to earn the prestigious honor of being named the best in the market. And first up for 2024 is SUV of the Year. With us to give an inside look at this first big reveal is Motor Trend editor Miguel Cortina. And this is such a crowded marketplace. You had, what, 20 contenders and then 10 finalists? I would imagine it was something of a challenge just to narrow it down to that point, let alone to try and pick just one. No, yeah, that's correct. We have actually 40 40 nameplates, uh, 31 nameplates, 40 models total. Uh, Then we narrowed it down to 10 finalists. And then from there, we had to select one vehicle, one winner vehicle. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't easy. It's a lot of work, uh, but we got through it, and we are very proud to have one winning vehicle that really nailed our criteria. And for those who haven't already heard, the 2024 SUV of the year is? The Chevy Blazer EV. This is an all-electric crossover from Chevrolet. Uh, it is very slick, very modern, very futuristic. Uh, has a lot of like Camaro-like styling, very muscular. And then you sit inside and it's also very, you know, like avant-garde uh, technology, right? It's, it's, it's futuristic. It's, it has tons of space for the family. And because it's an EV, we also had obviously to look at its range, its charging abilities and all of that. And uh, we, ha- we were impressed with its 320 miles of range on a single charge from its battery. Uh, it gets about 78 miles of range on 10 minutes charging at a fast charger. So it's really good for road trips. It's very good for riding around town. Uh, like I said, lots of space for the family, for cargo. So it, it's the one that really nailed our criteria. So folks may remember that last year, the Hyundai Ioniq 5 became the first electric vehicle to win in the SUV category. So now here we are two years in a row. And there were actually multiple EVs in the running. What does that say about the SUV marketplace as a whole in 2024? Uh, well, that's correct. Yeah, we're seeing a, a big trend towards EV. The whole industry is shifting in that direction. 
Um, every year we see more and more EVs on the road. Every year we see more options for EV buyers. And uh, every year there's more buyers that want to switch from an internal combustion engine to an electric vehicle. So EVs are on the rise. I think that trend is going to continue. And because everybody likes SUVs, then yeah. we're seeing a big trend specifically on electric crossovers as yeah. well. So one of one of the comments that stood out to me in the write up on the uh, Blazer EV uh, on the uh, on the website on the Motor Trend website is that it is perhaps the first EV that is not really a niche vehicle. This one feels normal. You say it's like the EV for everyone, if you will. Yeah, I think in part that's because it, there's two different battery sizes. There's three different powertrain options. So it's all-wheel drive, front-wheel drive, or rear-wheel drive, which is almost unheard of in the industry. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like depending on, on what you're looking for, depending on your budget, depending on how far you have to drive, then there may be a Blazer EV that's right for you. You know, one of the other things that is very similar, I noticed, to last year's contenders, and again, this just, I think, points to the trend in the SUV category, is that it's it's kind of difficult to define. I mean, you can really define an SUV any way you want. Everybody has a, a bit of a different spin on it. Yeah, that's correct. So what we do for that is, you know, as long as a manufacturer calls it an SUV, <laughs> then we're going to test it and we're going to drive it as an SUV should, right? And uh, that means doing a lot of off-road tests during our program. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's a vehicle that is named or is, is being called an SUV and mm-hmm. it really doesn't perform SUV duties, then it can't be uh, SUV of the year, right? Yeah. So. Uh, there, there, there is obviously a criteria for that, but uh, um, <clears throat> we try to go to what the manufacturer is is marketing it as, just because it's it, it's easier for us or not easier, but it's it's just a better way for us right. to actually prove that it is an SUV or not. So, uh, what else? And you mentioned some of the uh, features of the Blazer EV. What, aside from the fact that it is an electric vehicle? What made it really stand out above the rest? I mean, it's not just that it was an EV because there are others in contention as well. What uh, are some aside from that uh, that really made the Blazer EV stand out above the rest? I think that design is one of those categories where it really stood out to every judge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you look at it, it's 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 very muscular, right? It has like uh, sort of like an inspiration on the Camaro. And uh, that's basically what Chevy's design language, new design language, is going uh, is going forward, right? And there's nothing like it on the road, right? Uh, uh, if you see it driving down the street, mm-hmm. you're gonna recognize it right away. It's gonna get a lot of head turnings, and um, it's 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 slick, it's modern, it's futuristic, and it's different from anything that's out there. So I think design is certainly one thing that uh, that you know caught the attention of the judges. And then uh, we obviously talk about engineering excellence. And uh, like I said, the fact that it's all-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, or front-wheel drive, and there's right. two battery options to choose from. You know, EVs these days, the, the, the fact that uh, you can mix things up with platforms, and uh, the platforms are very versatile, uh, it's obviously a big advantage that they have. But we haven't seen really any vehicle except the Blazer EV that's offered with three different powertrains. Mm. Uh, there's also, you know, uh, uh, the, there's the RS model and then the SS model. The RS is the one that we tested. It has 288 horsepower and 333 pound-feet of torque. 
which it's I think more than enough for anybody that, that would need a, a vehicle today. Yeah. But also, if you need more performance, then there's the SS, and that has 557 horsepower. Wow. And 648 <laughs> pound feet of torque. So wow. That's a beast. That yeah. is more than enough. <laughs> uh, um, so of course, it's it's also very fun to drive. Uh, uh, it's punchy. It's powerful. And yeah, it has plenty of range as well. Yeah, uh, and and you do make a good point that it is kind of the maturation of the platform, uh, given the fact that EVs are, are so configurable uh, now instead of like one size uh, fits all. Let me ask you to sort of peer into your crystal ball a little bit here, as we mentioned. Last year, we got our first all-electric SUV. This year, we have another one at the top and multiple EVs in the running. So with that in mind, did you see anything in the winner or even among the finalists that was unique to a particular vehicle this year that will likely be more commonplace among contenders moving forward? That's an interesting question. So... Uh, like uh, I think, you know, there's more EVs uh, uh, in the market, and there will be even more next year and the year after that. Uh, I don't want to say, however, that because it's an EV, it will be SUV of the year, right? Yeah. We're still uh, as part of that. We're in a transition in the automotive industry. Uh, yes, there's a lot of EVs, but there's also even more internal combustion engine vehicles out there. Uh, you know, in, in, in today's, uh, or in this year's field, we had nine EVs and six plug-in hybrids from 39 models or 40 models in total. Yeah. Uh, uh, 39 plus a blazer. So, you know, there's still a bunch that are either hybrid or fully internal combustion engine, uh, vehicles. And so it's, 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 it's not, this is not an EV of the year. It's, 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 we, we do take that into account, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's the vehicle that really performs well overall against our criteria that gets to be named as UV of the year, regardless of the powertrain. Again, the 2024 SUV of the year, the Chevrolet Blazer EV. Motor Trend editor Miguel Cortino with us this morning. Miguel, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Great to talk to you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program by visiting our website at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the House of Representatives finally has a speaker, but the damage of Washington paralysis will take a while to undo. Another shutdown may be inevitable, and a new farm bill is overdue, with the existing legislation having expired earlier this month. So what now? Also, we'll preview the opening weekend of the high school football playoffs, get another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen, and more. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.